Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 44. How do you create a virtual conference that retains the interactivity of an in-person event? What are the tools needed for talk submissions, ticketing, and live hosting? And can those tools be written in Python? This week on the show, we have several of the organizers of the PyCascades 2021 conference. They share the process of restructuring a Python conference to meet those challenges. My guests are Nina Zakarenko and Seb Vetter, who are the co-chairs, and Asha Zawaduk, who is the conference program chair. PyCascades will be held online from February 19th through the 21st with a day of virtual social events, one of live stream talks, and another of mentored sprints. We discuss ways to recreate the elusive feel of the hallway track virtually. They share advice about submitting a talk proposal and ways that you can volunteer for conferences. Tickets are available now, and PyCascades is looking for additional sponsors. If you work for an organization that can help, get in contact with them. This episode is brought to you by PyCharm. Do you want to get work done? Use PyCharm, the Python IDE for professional developers. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hi, welcome, everybody. So this week, I have a group of people from PyCascades, the organizers, and I'll kind of just introduce you one by one. So first we have Nina. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do for PyCascades, Nina? Yeah. So I'm Nina Zakarenko. And this year for PyCascades, co-organizer, I believe, is my official role, which there is no prescriptive set of things that I've been doing. So just kind of trying to be the glue that sticks everything together. <laughs> Great. And we also have Seb what do you do for the PyCascade sub? I am the second co-chair this year. I've been with PyCascades for since its inauguration. So I've been having or carrying a lot of institutional knowledge around paperwork, admin, finances, budgeting. So I'm I, I get a lot of the questions that are logistical internally. And then like Nina as well, we kind of split up the wrangling work of the things that need to be done and trying to stick to timelines that we have, make decisions around how to move forward, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we also have Asha. Yeah, so I this year, I'm the program chair. I started volunteering with PyCascades as a talk reviewer. And uh, yeah, this year, program chair. So I put together the program from doing the, the organizing the talk reviews team and essentially the, the whole the schedule with the support of the Nina and Seb. All right, great. I, I mentioned in the intro a, a little bit about the dates and you know where people can find more information, but does somebody want to talk about the schedule a little bit, like what you guys are including this year in PyCascades? Yeah, I can talk about kind of the overall vision, and then I think Asha can fill us in on the details. So traditionally, PyCascades has been a single-track conference. It's been two days and that format works really well for in-person because that means that 
each speaker has everybody's undivided attention. Unfortunately, in the aftertimes, our attention is very divided. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we decided to switch things up uh, because we're going virtual. We kind of made the decision early on that we didn't have to copy and paste our format for how things were in person. So we decided to do one day, two tracks and kind of really take advantage of people's time and at home. You know, people have other responsibilities now. There are a lot of online conferences going on and to kind of help be respectful of people's time. So we're going a more traditional route with some talks from speakers that went through a traditional CFP process that were accepted by committee where it's kind of a structured talk. We've asked folks to pre-record this part of the event because I think we've all been to a lot of online conferences where things have gone wonky or somebody's connection has dropped off. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's kind of our standard track. And then for the second track, we decided to do something really fun and interesting. I probably shouldn't be sharing this, but I'll tell you our working title for this track, which was the chaos track. <laughs> okay. <So>. Good chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so this track is going to be, yeah, good, good chaos, chaotic good. And this is going to be the track where we have live panels and demos and interactive discussions where we're kind of expecting folks to maybe have, you know, technical issues or maybe something will go wrong. These are going to be interactive sessions where there's some more Q&A and little bit more dynamic. There aren't slides. And so we're kind of hoping to have the best of both worlds. Yeah, we really wanted to kind of approach it in a really different way because, you know, when you're in person, it's not just about the talks and the talks are obviously the highlights, but it's also, you got a lot of connection, you get a lot of engagements, you get a lot of conversations that, you know, there's a whole way, a whole hallway track that people are really excited about generally. And it's very difficult to kind of recreate that in a virtual environment. So, you know, we really wanted to find a way to still connect, engage. And that's kind of where the whole idea for these more interactive track came from, a way to be able to connect with people who have been a part of the community to have, you know, more conversations with them around topics to see what they're working on. And yeah, to have a little bit of balance between being and listening to more of a, listening and watching to more of a passive talk as well as a more kind of active discussion and to balance that. Is there new types of technology that you're using or are there is there a model of something that you're you've seen and you're like, oh, this would be a, kind of a way that we could maybe include it in, in this version of Podcast Gates? Yeah, I think Seb would be a great person to answer that. Okay. Yeah, I think from our perspective, this has been a very new experience going virtual because obviously there is a lot of new and different tools that come into play for this. I think one of the things that we've always benefited from, not just us as PyCascades, but as a larger Python community, is that we have a lot of people that have different areas of expertise that we can draw from. And especially the organizers community within the Python community has experience, has worked out some of these kinks throughout 2020 or has figured out this works well, this doesn't work as well. So we drew from a lot of knowledge from other people that we're connected to, 
we look towards PyCon Australia, for example, regarding their experience, regarding their tools and, and ways of bringing talks into the online space. And so we basically took a lot of their learnings and reached out to other people to inform our decision around that. But there was a lot of research and comparing and talking about what are options that we have to kind of make this become reality. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of testing in terms of trying out different platforms, hopping on many different types of global events and smaller events and seeing how other events are kind of doing virtual conferences and to be able to just see what the experience was in a, like a live format and be able to kind of bring that knowledge back. So we definitely had a lot of, a lot of people just jumping in and yeah, looking at other conferences definitely and, and getting inspired by them. But I also want to mention too that, you know, their tools, tools do make a difference, but I think we were really trying to focus on what's between the lines, you know, how it is can, you know, you can connect in so many different ways and so many different tools. And we want to make sure that some of that, that fun engagement aspect is there no matter what tool we're uh, planning to use. That sounds great. I'm excited (laughs) to check out what you guys are creating. Yeah. So we ended up selecting pre-talks, T-A-L-X, pre-ticks, and then Venulas for the platform. And to my understanding, those are tools that are built in Python and have been used for other Python conferences successfully in the past, like PyCon Australia. So to back up a little bit, that's the tool for ticket sales, the tool for the CFP, the call for proposals, as well as the hosting platform for the videos on the day of the event. And for us, all those things are now going to link together and they're built by the same team. So we're really excited about that because we've definitely had issues in the past with platforms like Paper call for CFPs, which is a good platform, but unfortunately, I don't know who, who they've angered, but their acceptance emails go into uh, some people's spam folders automatically. Uh-huh. And so in the past, we've had a lot of issues with, you know, telling speakers that they've been accepted and them having no idea and then confusion. So wow. the systems that we've selected have worked really great so far and we've been happy with our decision. I know you guys are still kind of working out some of that. How would the hallway track sort of fit into what you're creating there? So I think we've kind of took it apart in little pieces, essentially. So for example, even though all of the talks are on the pre-recorded track are there, we're actually including at an intro and and a thank you at the end. So we're adding an extra five minutes to each talk just so to be able to like engage in person and, and for the speaker to actually say hello to everybody. And then thanks for, um, thanks for listening in a more interactive way. And so it's really kind of a collection of those small little things be able to, you know, provide chats and be able to provide, for example, an in- more interactive Q&A. So podcast case, has typically never done a live QA for any of the talks. We've always just let people approach the speakers um, after the talk is over so that they can have a conversation there. And so we've kind of tried to recreate the same kind of way into the platform where we actually stream the talk. So say, say hello, stream the uh, pre-recorded talk, and then essentially kind of shuffle people over into a video chat channel in a platform where they can kind of continue that conversation in a smaller group. 
So that's something that would be kind of really similar to like, you know, a part of the hallway track almost in a way. And so it's really kind of a collection of, of small things like that that we're trying to recreate. We did want to provide some kind of social events because we've particularly done that in PyCast Kids before because it gives a chance to uh, for people to meet each other. And we've always had like a pre-registration that you could register the evening before. So we wanted to have something similar. So uh, I think a lot of times is creating more opportunities for conversations to happen is really where hallway kind of track is about. And so being able to create some of those moments more explicitly. Yeah, so on... It's the Friday that would be the 19th, right? Yes, yes. Is that give you a chance with that sort of initial gathering to test out a lot of the technology with a larger audience and check out how it's going to work um, for the next day in some ways? Uh, we have a tech check scheduled for a week before. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got a fantastic recommendation from PyCon Australia for an AV vendor that they used. His name is Ryan and his company is Next Day Video. And he has been our lifesaver as we transition into this online only new, brave new world. So he has checklists and guides and a portal where our speakers can upload their talks and everything is taken care of. Um, he's also going to be helping us release the videos on YouTube after the event for folks who were not able to attend in person. And so, yeah, we should be doing tech check a week before. And hopefully by the time the party starts, we can all relax and hang out with the attendees <laughs> and not be super stressed out. That's great. Yeah. It sounds much better. Yeah. One of the added benefits of having this little social gathering from, from again, from a more technical or more a tool-oriented perspective is that attendees can come in and kind of familiarize themselves with the platform as well Yeah, in a little bit more of a informal context and kind of reach can reach out to us can say like hey this is not working i'm ha having trouble with that or this is some challenges that i've been dealing with so we can address them before the main event so that on the day off when they want to watch one of the pre-recorded talks engage with one of the speakers there or interact in one of the panels they don't necessarily have to deal with technical issues that we could have solved the day before mm -hmm. yeah one of the questions I was thinking about was how does this, it being virtual, change the type of audience that you would get and the type of reach that you would normally get? That's an interesting question because I think in terms of who we are reaching, we actually don't quite know that yet. We haven't gone through our attendee list and, and figured out who are the, the groups of people that have bought tickets and how are they different from the previous groups at previous Pi Cascades? Mm -hmm. What has been interesting, though, is to see that, as we expected, there is a lot less people signing up for an online conference because all of our lives are so online-centric. And because now every regional conference is competing with every other regional conference and every global conference that's also going online because now access is so much easier and doesn't require travel and the associated funding with it. Hmm. Yeah. What I did want to add was that while we don't know much about our audience yet because this is 
the first remote Pi Cascades. And actually, funny enough, Pi Cascades last year was my last in-person event. So it's kind of a real way to go. I do want to say that it's really affected who can come and speak at our event. Whereas in the past, you know, Pi Cascades was the smaller regional event and we saw a lot of people from the Pacific Northwest and from Canada and from California. Now we have speakers. We have a speaker from Africa, a speaker who's in Indonesia, a speaker who is in China, a speaker in South Korea. So we're able to welcome an international community to our conference and to our event and have speakers that we might not have been able to have in the past. So I think that is really fantastic. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. Expanding the different types of voices that can come and, <laughs> and uh, be part of it is very is one of the things that's exciting me about a lot of these virtual conferences. One of the other things I think that was affected when it comes to us to kind of look from a program perspective is that being aware that now that so many Python conferences are available virtually, then we really wanted to change our focus a little bit about the kind of talks that we would have on the program. Because now with all of the Python conference going on and everybody releasing all of the videos for public viewing, then uh, you'll tend to see a lot of repeated topics. So we really want to kind of shift to see how can we bring in some talks that are really unique. That makes sense. So that, yeah, you, so that we can kind of really focus on that unique and, and what it, what are interesting things that people are doing with Python that may not be as maybe appropriate for a wider audience, you know, as something like a PyCon US, for example. Sure. So we were able to kind of, yeah, adjust a little bit about the types of the types of talks you want to see in the programs to have more of a unique aspect to it. How did you approach that? Was it something you did differently in your call for proposal? I think we were able to balance things out a little bit through the interactive track. So the interactive track is much more of a curated aspect to it. So we were able to kind of start with ideas first. And, you know, so one idea we actually had was to be able to be like, you know, there are people who are podcasting in the Python space and not a lot of, uh, you know, people kind of know what that's actually about, maybe from a technical point of view or how that actually works or what software is being used or even history and kind of like interviewing the podcaster themselves. So we were able to, for example, reach out to a few podcasters in the Python community and organize a, a specific session around that topic. So definitely the interactive track where we had a lot of room to uh, kind of, yeah, look for some, start with some unique topics and see who we have in the community that has been around PyCascades or that we know that we know that, that our community is uh, aware of and kind of invite them into that space. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And then, you know, generally with the talk reviews, it's just reviewing talks through the CFP always, there's, there's, you know, 20, 30, 40 different questions you're kind of asking yourself when it comes to kind of balancing what kind of talks are uh, going to end up on the final schedule. So there's definitely a little bit of room in terms of uniqueness, technical, um, how fun something is and to kind of, yeah, choose, uh, choose and finalize the program in the end, I guess. Do you want to go a little deeper into that? Because I, I was thinking about some questions that are more from the perspective of 
if someone was interested in sending a proposal in for a talk, what that whole process sort of looks like and what are ways that they could be set up for success in, in, in trying to uh, submit a proposal. I think one of the best ways to kind of set up for success is reaching out to a mentor. And Podcast Kids has, I think, historically, almost in every single year, provided some mentors, a, a list of kind of people who uh, are available to mentor and kind of look over someone to CFP and give a little bit of guidance or tips into uh, making sure that the right information is showing up, that it's the, the abstract is clear, that the description is clear, that it's organized in, in a good way. So I think that's probably the best way you can do success if you're not familiar with submitting a proposal at all, then I definitely suggest to keep an eye on the mentors list. And from then, I always want to, people remember that, you know, Podcast Cades, I think, especially was a, you know, regional conference. We've taken 10 pre-recorded, uh, 10 talks for the pre-recorded track and gotten much more submissions than that. But uh, generally, a program needs to be balanced in terms of the topics. You, you know, we don't want to have, for example, five machine learning and five data science <laughs> talks, right? Right. So, you know, if you get a lot of submissions for a single topic, there, there may be a lot more competition in terms of a particular spot because, you know, there's only going to be one or two machine uh, learning talks, for example, when there's only 10 talks total. So a lot of times you may think you made an amazing proposal and, and sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't purely based on what's available, uh, the timing available. So definitely always submit it to multiple, multiple conferences because uh, sometimes it's just luck, sometimes <laughs> lack of the schedule, I guess. Yeah, a tip I wanted to share is in general, if you submit to a conference and you do get that unfortunate rejection letter, sometimes you can reach out to the event and see if there's any notes or feedback from the selection process itself that the organizers are open to sharing with you. And you might be surprised that folks are willing to help share some tips to help you level up next time. And I I guess just to add sort of my personal experience with that as well as a previous speaker at Python conferences, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to have a speaker mentor, someone who had given quite a few talks at a lot of different Python conferences. And it was really valuable for me to go through an outline process and get some feedback on does this make sense? How do I structure this? How do I approach this? And that's what eventually helped me basically get my first talk accepted at a conference. Really interestingly, I um, really wanted to learn how to write a CFP as well. So I actually started volunteered as a talk reviewer <laughs> for podcast games. And I figured, you know, when you can review hundreds and hundreds of talks, then you, you, you kind of learn what to kind of put in a, in a proposal that how to structure it when you've looked at a lot of them. So, yeah. But yeah, that's a great tip. I volunteered to do talk reviews for PyCon a few years ago, and I definitely had the same experience where I really learned what to do, what not to do, and also what stood out to reviewers. A few years ago now, maybe one or two years ago, I'm somebody who has given a lot of talks at Python events and, and other types of conferences. I decided to just brain dump everything that I knew about writing CFPs, about getting talks accepted, about the process of giving a talk in person, which is no longer relevant <laughs> for another few months. 
And I bundled this up into a, a series. It took me, I think, over a month to write it and edit it called The Ultimate Guide to Memorable Tech Talks. And I've heard from quite a few folks that it's really helped launch them into giving their first conference talk. So I worked really hard on it and I like sharing it as a resource for speakers. Yeah, it sounds like a great resource. That sounds cool. Are there certain things that you can think of that right off the bat, you could say very safely that these are suggestions that you would say, don't do not do this? <laughs> as a small tip, I think that there definitely needs to be good explanation of the topics that you're going to be talking about. There's definitely a lot of proposals I've seen that are fairly short. Okay. And it just doesn't give enough information in terms of what is actually going to be discussed within that uh, 25, 30 minutes. So I guess maybe that's another tip. Have you ever felt overwhelmed while configuring your IDE? With PyCharm, you get everything out of the box. Expert Python assistance, including smart refactorings, and best-in-class code completion, web development support for Django, Flask, and other frameworks, as well as a huge collection of developer tools that include an integrated debugger, a built-in terminal, VCS integrations, and support for various databases. Get all the Python tooling in one smart IDE. Try PyCharm now. Get your smart Python IDE today at jetbrains.com PyCharm. Kind of going back to your experience working with PyCon and, and assisting in those ways for other conferences, how can people assist you guys for PyCascades this year? Are you still accepting people to assist and volunteer? Yes. Yes, we are. Um, Britt Brit Gresham is our volunteer coordinator, and I hope that I'm saying his name correctly. But he is a lovely human, and he's been involved with PyCascades for a long time. And we do currently have our call for volunteers open. If somebody would like to sign up to help us out, they can get more details on the PyCascades Twitter or on our website, 2021.pycascades.com. And we've had in-person volunteers in the past. This year, the roles are very different. So... In the past, you might have been a speaker wrangler, which means finding that speaker in person <laughs> and bringing them to a green room. And now our speaker wranglers have to digitally find that person and bring them into a Slack channel. So <laughs> there's some analogies, but you know it's a little bit different. And we do have some some special surprises in store for our volunteers as well, which I will not be spoiling, but. If folks in the Python community, you know, they have the time and the energy and the spoons to spare, we would really appreciate their help in making our event a success for everybody. What are ways that once that person's been selected to, through the CFP process that you would assist them to be prepared for their first talk? So what we're doing this year that's slightly different to uh, previous years is obviously the the technical quality depends a lot on the setup that the speaker has already and things like internet connectivity and and whether they know how to properly set up their video and and audio environment so like as as Nina shared earlier we do have a vendor that we work with who will basically be facilitating the entire AV experience throughout the event. And they are basically helping us with making sure that every speaker has the level of quality that we want to provide to attendees. 
And then we as the organizer team have made room in our budget for support for speakers that, for example, don't do a lot of video recording or audio recording and don't have the equipment to basically say, okay, here's a recommendation from our AV vendor to basically buy this microphone before recording and we'll basically help them pay for that either by completely paying for it or at least a portion of that. So we have a sort of a different financial grant process to the last years where we helped pay for travel. This time it's more focused on equipment and ensuring that the speakers feel comfortable with the setup that they have. And we provide the quality of the talks that we want to provide to the attendees. Yeah, cool. I guess a couple questions I have are related to kind of how you all got involved in Pi Cascades. And and I know we kind of covered it briefly, but also like why why you're involved <laughs> in, in would be another kind of reason. So Nina, are you how long have you been involved with Pi Cascades? This is my third year. I started out as a speaker. So I gave a talk at Pi Cascades 2019. And then I took over Last year, I took over as communications chair from Stargirl Flowers. And I'm not sure how it came up where I was asked to be co-chair, but I I said yes. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I even though it's been it's been a lot of work, I've been really happy with my decision. I mean, the organizing team is just amazing. As you've heard, I mean, Seb and Asha, and I think there's about seven of us who are really putting in a lot of time and effort into making this event a success. And all of us have probably had some experience attending in-person events. And now, you know, everything is different and it's going to stay different for a while. So we're really trying to figure out how to make online events interactive and fun and something different. And a long-term goal that we have is to gather a lot of what went right and maybe some of what went wrong and put it together into a guide for other conferences and other conference events so that they can use it as a template going forward because We've been getting little snippets here and there, little tips, but we want to put together a guide that has a template for our budgeting, that has some contact information for some of the vendors that we've used to really help other events, you know, kick things off and so that other folks can learn from the lessons that we've gotten. And I can imagine that all the things that you're learning now are sort of timeless in the sense that they could be used at any any point, you know, if you decide you would like to do something virtually, there's no, no reason that you can't. I mean, obviously, I think we're all clamoring for the in-person contact, but it's, I think, going to be really powerful to have all these additional things that you could use for all these other situations, which I, I think that's great. Exactly. Yes. And So I was recently elected to the board of the PSF and I'm on the PyCon working group. So I'm really hoping that some of the lessons that we learn about Pi Cascades in January and February are things that we can then apply to the success of PyCon US that is also going to be remote this year in, uh, I believe it's in May. Okay. But I could be wrong. So double check the website. Yeah, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. 
For me, yeah, for me, as I mentioned, I kind of started volunteering with Pie Cascades on the talk reviews aspect. Pie Cascades in 2018 was actually my first ever conference. And I'm up in Canada and in, in Edmonton, and we've got a really great local co- Python community. But going to attending a conference of Pie Cascades in 2018 was like the first opportunity I, you know, really had to kind of connect with the more global Python community in person. And I really uh, volunteering at the PyCascades conference, um, as well as other conferences. I also volunteer for the PyCon Canada, that it was a a chance for me to, I guess, connect with the rest of the global community. Uh, So I really appreciate that. And Seb, when did you get involved? I've been, as um, both of them were sharing their stories, I was just thinking about that. And I actually don't know what exactly happened, um, <laughs> but I was I was part of the inaugural group of people. Basically, it I think it was the PyCon US just before our first year, which was 2018. So it must have been somewhere between April and May uh, 2017, and we basically got together somewhere at PyCon US and were kind of talking about this idea that's been bounced around by a lot of other people beforehand who who are part of that group. And it was, yeah, for me, there there was this interest of doing something, being part of the Vancouver Python community up here in British Columbia. That's a little bit bigger than just a meetup or like a small one-day talk event. So I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to get connected to all of these people from from Portland and from Seattle, including Stargo Flowers, Alan, Vizina, Eric Holscher, Don Shu. Who else am I forgetting? Esty. Esty came in a little bit later. Georgia. Sorry? Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Georgia Ray, who was part of the initial group as well. So yeah, so there was like a lot of people that were very excited to put something regional together. And yeah, and then it just it just started happening at that point. We started making t-shirts and pitching it at PyCon US. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> Surprise. Now you're always in conference. First, have you been? Have you been to a PyCast Kids? No? Oh no. I I'm fairly new to the Python community, uh, hmm. just about two years. And the first conference, Python conference I was able to go to was a, an, an initial Pi Colorado, which is where I recently moved and live now. And I'm feeling it's similar in that it's a it's a one-track conference. It was, it was a really neat experience. And I, I, I love the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and I'm so bummed because I really would have loved to go. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I've totally signed up already. I bought my tickets, so I'm ready to do the virtual one and you know, enjoy all the the goodness sort of remotely, but I'm excited to travel again. And I would definitely, uh, I will be there in the future <laughs> when it's back in person too, because I, I love traveling up there. I've been, you know, to all all those cities that you mentioned, Seattle and Portland and Vancouver. Yeah, that, that's something that I really love about Pi Cascades is that it travels between different cities in the Pacific Northwest. I I just want to jump in because uh, I, I just realized who I forgot. Okay. Um, and it's really important that I mentioned her because Mariada was my first co-chair in Vancouver. Oh, and cool. I don't want to forget forget her. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just wanted to. And so she was involved in, in your in your first, the, the first iteration of it? Exactly. Yeah, she was involved from the start. Her and I were basically uh, co-chairing the first Vancouver iteration of this. 
Okay. I actually didn't know that. I just wanted to make sure that she gets the the <laughs> the credit that she deserves for all of the work that she's been done uh, been doing <laughs> since then. <laughs> yeah, Marietta is awesome, hands down. Yeah, she's involved in in PyCon too, right? I'm not sure, but she's very involved as a as a Python core developer. Yeah, and as a PyLady, and also a proponent of F-strings. You've probably, <laughs> probably seen her F-string stickers and bots. She loves building bots. And we're going to have her on the interactive tracks. Uh, awesome. So, Along with a few other core developers, including Guido. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It's about a topic that seems to come up routinely on the show. It's titled Speed Up Python with Concurrency. The course is based on a real Python article by previous guest, Jim Anderson. And in the course, another previous guest, Christopher Trudeau, is your instructor. And he takes you through how IO-bound programs are affected by latency. Which concurrent programming patterns to use? What are the differences between Python concurrency libraries? And how to write code that uses threading, async IO, and multiprocessing libraries? I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn about the concurrency methods available in modern Python and the ways that it may speed up your programs. And like most of the video courses on real Python, the course is broken into easily consumable sections with a transcript and closed captions and also includes code samples for all the techniques shown. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. I don't know if you guys wanted to talk about the what the talks are yeah. that are scheduled. Do you guys want to go through some of them? Um, I know you're kind of keeping some of the interactive stuff as a bit of a surprise, it sounds like. <laughs> surprise, <Yeah>. still working <laughs> on it. We're <laughs> <laughs> like 90%, 90% there. Yeah, I would, I would love to share the the two. Well, I'm, to be honest, actually equally excited about all of the talks. There are two interactive track talks that I think are going to be really memorable to attendees. One is a panel with four amazing core developers. So we're going to have uh, we're going to have Guido and Brett Cannon and Marietta and Carol Willing, who are going to talk to us about how COVID has affected core Python development. And I don't know the answer to that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to their, their panel and hearing about, you know, what's been going on in their lives and, and how Python has been affected. Because in the past, uh, the core developers would get together quite a few times a year and work on things in person, shoulder to shoulder. And then, of course, yeah. that now that is not, not really happening anymore. And then the second talk that, I'm going to try to sneak away from and, and watch in person is by, by Deborah, who goes by Geek Mom Projects. And she, do you follow her on Twitter or anything like that? No, no, I, I haven't. I, I haven't heard of her. That sounds great. So she does a lot of work with like LEDs and laser cutting and acrylic <laughs> and, you know, yeah. So she's going to be doing a session that's just demos of some projects that she has built including this crossbody bag called a bright bag that has LEDs in it. And then you can plug and play either a, a micro bit, which supports micro Python or Adafruit's 
a similar footprint device called the uh, Clue Board that runs CircuitPython, and you can have your purse be programmed to light up in different patterns. <laughs> uh, so she's built some really cool stuff, and she's just going to bring all her toys on camera and talk about them, which I think is going to be really cool and really unique and um, not something that other virtual events might have. Yeah, no, I'm very interested in the electronic sides of, of Python. That's great. One of the ones I I love reading books, so <laughs> uh, we are also super happy to. Well, I'm definitely super happy that we're going to have a track interactive uh, talk with a couple of Python book authors, including uh, Harry Percival, um, who wrote uh, GDD driven. With Python, I wrote a new book from Architecture Design Patterns in Python, I believe. And Al Swigart, who uh, is known for Automate the Boring Stuff with Python and his new book, Invent with Python. And April Spite, uh, who wrote the book. Uh, she wrote a book for Python for kids. I'm not sure, Nina. Do you remember what the title of that one was? I don't know the title off, off the top of my head, yeah. but she is currently working on her second book as well that is targeted towards adults and IT professionals. So she was particularly excited about talking about the difference between writing for kids as an audience versus writing for adults as an audience. And yeah. I'm really excited to have her perspective. Yeah. And I know Alan Harry kind of wanted to chat a little bit about the technical, just like what, like, how do you actually go, like the technical logistics of actually putting the together a technical book, how that was, you're using Markdown, what is going on there. So I'm really excited about that aspect of the thing. And we also have chats with the international community. We mentioned, we mentioned we have folks from uh, South Korea, Indonesia, and Africa. And that's just, we want to, have a little discussion about the international Python community and see what it's like on uh, that side of, um, I guess, the world and how... Uh, how yeah, that's... no, that's all exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting to be able to uh, bring that in. So I had Al on the show um, a few weeks back talking about his new book, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, Excellent. Discussing it in his process of, <laughs> of uh, creating it over several years. <laughs> Yeah, these are you know these are little bits of knowledge that uh, you don't really know until you have those conversations, and really that's exactly what we're hoping to uh, we're hoping for. I hope to write a book one day. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I will be listening to that talk. If not live, I'll be watching the recording um, because yeah. I love the idea of it. I'm terrified. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Those are some of the kind of interactive track. And we also do have speakers that are going to be in the pre record track. So that one varies all the way from talking about the Django REST framework using uh, enhancing civics data with Elasticsearch and Pandas, a chat about open source machine learning for spacecraft operations. Wow. Yeah, so making games with PBB, and I know we definitely have a talk that's going to be a little bit of about data pipelining, but it's you're going to be using, um, I'll just drop the world squirrel in there. It's <laughs> <So that's> been <laughs> super exciting. So yeah, those are some highlights. There's, there's more, so you can kind of go to the website and kind of check out the program list there. So Sunday, uh, the 21st, you are going to have mentored sprints. And I was wondering, what is that? And then how somebody could be involved and how it's different being virtual. I guess that's three questions, sorry. (laughs) 
So yeah. anybody want to take that one on? I'd be happy to chime in about that. So Mentored Sprints for Diverse Beginners was something that I did in person at PyCon in 2019 with Tanya Allard, who is based in the UK, and she kind of came up with the concept, and Marietta, and we had a few other volunteers. And the whole idea behind Mentored Sprints was to have an opportunity for for folks who might not have contributed to open source before and give them a space and mentors to really thrive and succeed. Generally, for PyCon, sprints were after the event, after a lot of people had gone home, and so mentored sprints were during the main event. And then we had folks come and volunteer from different open source projects to hang out and be mentors. And the mentored sprint was incredibly successful. We got a ton of people to make their first open source contributions, documentation, code, and just kind of get a taste of that collaboration. And so Tanya has taken mentored sprints now to lots of other virtual events. And we're really excited to do something something different this year and hopefully open the door for more new open source contributors. I had her on the show pretty early on and we talked a little bit about it there and I think it was just before it was going to happen at PyCon. Mm. We we talked a little bit about that, that idea that somebody who would be interested in this, they don't necessarily have to feel like they're the most expert of programmer. (laughs) Yeah. The idea is that there's uh there's people there to to again mentor you, but also there's a lot of different ways that they that you can contribute. And I think you already mentioned some of it. The idea that it could be just helping with documentation and what what other ways that they can help? Um, translations are a big one for projects. So if you speak another language, that's huge. Adding to documentation where there is none. If you're reading something, if you're trying to follow a guide and something's not working or you're confused, chances are whoever comes after you is probably going to be facing <laughs> the same issues. So, you know, documenting. Uh, but there's also an opportunity to get familiar with the open source process. So usually mentored sprints start out with a little bit about how Git works and GitHub and what a fork is and navigating the pull request process because, you know, as developers, we just kind of get used to the tools that we use on a day-to-day basis. But to somebody who is new and might not use the same tools, it really is confusing and it could be intimidating. So we try to take some of the mystery and magic away. And we've also found that folks really thrive in these small group settings. So when they have somebody from the project nearby to answer questions and they don't have to feel frustrated because they're stuck or they're confused or they don't know what the next step is, that environment has really enabled people to thrive and succeed. How do you pick the projects? Is it a a bit of a volunteer process that people sort of say, hey, I need help? (laughs) Yeah, so generally projects sign up in advance and then attendees of the mentored sprints have the opportunity to choose what project they'd like to focus on. It worked a little bit differently at an in-person space because uh, we had each project introduce themselves before the sprint started. Just, you know, a little one-sentence thing about the project and then a few words about what the project was looking for in terms of help. And at the physical mentored sprint, 
we had tables. <laughs> so somebody could just go yeah. and sit down at a table and join the conversation. With the digital mentored sprint, it's a little bit different. So we've done Discord in the past. This time we're going to be using Venueless and the projects are still open and they're welcoming. You know, it's just it's a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, that sounds cool. I think one of the things that I just want to call out, we talked a little bit earlier about volunteering and the people that are volunteering their time. And especially with all of the things that are currently going on in the world around the pandemic and within North America, politically, the fact that the people that have committed to this early in the year are still committed to this is something that I'm really excited about. And that's always been the thing that gives me energy to be part of this group. So I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's involved and has contributed this year to making this happen and is continuing to contribute to this for the next two months to actually turn this into a reality. Yeah. And if anybody wants to see who those people are, we have a team page on the website. You can go and check them out and put some faces to the work that gets done. Uh, like 100% sad because I think something that a lot of people don't realize is that we are all volunteers. So each of us spends a lot of time every week, especially now that it's closer to the event, working with vendors and, and organizing and emailing speakers. And none of us are paid. <laughs> You know, none of us are paid for our time. We're all volunteers. And for everyone who is involved, we're doing it because it's a labor of love. And we want to contribute back to the Python community, a community that I, I think has really nurtured me and has has given me a lot. I'm, I'm also pretty grateful for the opportunity to be in this position where, you know, we can work together to put something out there into the world that's that's real and hopefully enriches people's lives. That's great. I, I was wondering if I could ask you, part of the documentation on the page about PyCascades is saying that it's sort of a bit of a culmination from user groups in that area. What are the names of the user groups that kind of combined to, and if people were interested in, in uh, finding them? Like you mentioned PyLadies, that there's a chapter there. Is there a specific Vancouver Python group? Yeah, so there is, well, there isn't any more as far as I know. So interestingly enough, I moved away from Vancouver at some point. Okay. And with that, um, have handed the meetup over to new people. And I'm not quite sure whether they are still running the meetup frequently or not. Okay. What does exist in Vancouver is a very, very active PyLadies chapter. And I know that Mariada is involved in that, and there are quite a few people that are helping out or were planning to help out with the Vancouver Pi Cascades version that we were planning to run in 2021 that are basically supporting the conference right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does anybody else know of other uh, user groups that are in, in the area? Yeah, so there's also Seattle PyLadies and uh, the Seattle Python user group. Okay. Also known as Puppy. I don't know. So I actually, funny enough, don't live in the Pacific Northwest anymore. I left for sunnier pastures because it was a little too gloomy for me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not up to date with what, with what that community is up to, but I know that they were pivotal in 
helping kick off Pie Cascades in the, in the early days. It sounds like you guys all left a lot of love there <laughs> and want to come back and visit. Yeah, I'm on the other side of the mountain, so I always uh, do my best to try to get people involved from here, from the local community uh, into Pie Cascades. Because for for us here in Alberta, it's the closest uh, large Python conference. So. And there is there is also a Pi Ladies chapter in Portland, and I think they have um, a Python meetup as well. Yes, I'm not 100 percent sure how active or what the things are that are currently going on there. I know that they are still doing things, but I'm not on top of of their kind of engagement. Yeah, probably this year has been really hard for all of that sort of stuff, uh, trying to figure out how to do it remote, and uh, hopefully. We can kind of get a lot of these user groups back online and, you know, back in person too. Before we move on, can we chat about one other PyCascades thing? And Seb, I'll probably ask you to talk about it. Yeah, sure. This might be a good time to talk about our sponsors. So who's sponsoring PyCascades? We're still in the process of asking for sponsors to help us out um, because obviously there are financial requirements for us to put this on we have vendors that that we need to help us make this a reality that we need to pay and we want to create a great experience for our attendees in a variety of ways support the people that don't have the financial means of for example buying equipment and things like that so we're still looking for sponsors that are helping us out but we have a couple of commitments already that we're really happy that they've jumped on board. Again, they've supported us for multiple years. Microsoft is our diamond sponsor, so they are going to support us as the lead sponsor in in the event. And then we have CBRE as another sponsor on board and API Metrics, which is a smaller uh, company from Seattle. And all of, except for CBRE, the other uh, two have been recurring sponsors for us. I'll definitely mention that you guys are still interested in adding additional sponsors. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, and you don't have to be a company to sponsor if you are just an individual or somebody who runs a, a Python small business and you would like to contribute to the event. We do have a community sponsorship level that is a tier where where you can still jump in and help but you don't have to have the the budget of some of the larger sponsors that are chipping in. That's great. And Seb, do you want to mention like what our sponsors provide, especially kind of in the past versus, you know, versus the virtual version? Because I think some of the the grants programs that we've offered in the past are really compelling. So yeah, in terms of in terms of the things that we've done in the past and that we're continuing this year as well, we've always taken about uh, somewhere between 10 and 20% of our overall budget, which is a large chunk of that is coming from sponsors, is going directly into helping people be part of the community that are not able to afford it. So that means free tickets, for people that don't have the means to pay for a ticket. Our ticket prices this year have lowered, so we've had the ability to contribute to more people, help out more people with the sponsorship contributions. And then we have 
captioning as something that we're funding through the sponsorship extensively. We're looking currently at having a sponsor basically contributing directly to and being the lead sponsor on the captioning side of things. And then, as I mentioned before, we have substantial amounts of funds that go into the speaker equipment support and helping out speakers having a good lighting setup, a good microphone setup, a good camera setup, and making sure that whatever they need, whatever enables them to contribute to the conference, to basically have access to that. And then providing some additional incentives to our uh, volunteers as well to make their lives contributing their time easier. So we have a couple of things that we're working on that we're not able to, to share yet, um, mm-hmm. but there are a couple of things that we're, that we're still trying to work out. Yeah. So it's a real shift from in-person, you know, where all these things need to move. So a lot of, a lot of planning this year, sounds like. Yeah. And Podcast Kids has always been an incredibly diverse and inclusive conference. And so now that things are remote, we're trying to figure out, you know, how can we make sure that tradition of inclusivity continues where, you know, we are able to provide live captioning for folks who who need it and not leaving folks out because of cost or, or technical challenges or anything like that. So we're, we're working um, really hard on it, even though it's all, it's all new and different. And a lot of times there's just, there's no playbook for how to get it done. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's something that you're excited about in the world of Python? And again, it could be an event, a book package editor. Anybody want to go first? Something that I'm really excited about that is kind of new for this year is is live streaming. Yeah. There's quite a few folks in the Python community that have been live streaming on Twitch. I was more active over the summer and had a Python show, weekly Python show going on Twitch that's currently on hiatus uh, because I am tired. I'm just so tired. <laughs> I caught a couple of those, actually. I saw Al on there. Oh, yeah. Python T. Yeah, I, I really want to want to get started with those again. But there are quite a few folks in the Python community who are live streaming regularly. There's Al Swiger, like you mentioned. There is Anthony. Oh, I think his last name is Stoidel or Stoidel, but his uh, screen name is something like Anthony Writes Code. There's Dr. Sarah Kayser, who doesn't do Python full-time, but a lot of times she talks about scientific computing and like quantum computing. And then for non-Python specific stuff, there's a group called the Live Coders that do live code streaming. And uh, yeah, that that is all super exciting for me because you can go on Twitch while somebody is coding and hang out in a chat room and ask them questions. And it's kind of like looking over their shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, so right now, you know, Twitch is more for people who are live streaming games and people who are live streaming code, it's kind of more of like a smaller thing. It's not a huge audience, but I think this is kind of the tip of the iceberg. And this past year has given us these awesome people in the Python community who are active on Twitch. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're doing and tuning into their streams occasionally. And then hopefully we see more people joining that community this year. Yeah, um, I had Cecil Philip on, and he does a stream sometimes mm-hmm. um, where they're kind of learning Python together. 
Yeah, I'll definitely have to collect some of those links from you yeah, sure. <laughs> for those uh, Twitch streamers. Cool. Asha, you want to go next? Uh, yeah. For me, I think I'm I'm such a bookworm. I'm always got a list of of kind of Python <laughs> books that I want to get to, and my copy of Architecture Patterns in Python arrived recently, so I'll probably I'm excited to uh, open that one up. But I also really wanted to. I'm I'm super curious about diving more into kind of Python async stuff and kind of learning more about that knowledge too. So I did uh, I did see there was a book for async async I on Python. I'm not really sure. Uh, what other uh, really great resources are there? I'm sure Real Python has a bunch of async articles that I'm definitely going to be uh, checking out if there is. Yeah, I had uh, Wukus Langa on talking about his PyCon talk, which was a sort of async IO and music. Mm-hmm. And then he's done a whole series of async IO videos on, on YouTube. They're great, really kind of explaining the concept and then kind of giving, in my opinion, some more more real world kind of examples that. I could latch on to being a music guy, but um, <laughs> the, in other ways, because a lot of times the async stuff, they're just like throwing like a sleep statement in there and it's like, yeah. that's not realistic <laughs> to me, like what you're going to do. You know, yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. But I'm like, for me, it's just code organization and just design patterns is a really fascinating subject. So I can't wait till I get to the point where I got, you know, the async down and then the, the patterns and design down and then just cross those over. <laughs> it sounds like chaos, but uh, when you, uh, when you do that, but that, that's, that's for me. Uh, yeah. A little bit of um, kind of downtime and being able to, to read some really good books is, uh, is what I'm about now anyways. <laughs> that's great. And Seb? This is an interesting question for me because I haven't really been coding as much anymore. I've shifted into a management role recently. So I'm only tangentially sort of daily playing in the Python space. One of the things that has come up as part of the organization of PyCascades is um, our website and finding a better way of, of managing the website and making it less of a requirement to be able to use a static site generator and have Python set up locally. So I've explored a little bit generating a static site out of a Wagtail CMS. Okay. And so that's been kind of an interesting learning experience. And there was, it was definitely exciting seeing that come together. So that's kind of, that's probably the, the closest thing in terms of Python that, that excites me right now. So, Seb, you're actually excited about removing Python from projects. Wagtail is like on top of Django, is that correct? Yeah, it's on top of Django. Yeah. 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 It's a really great CMS with a really great kind of mini community around it as well. I know Wagtail Space is uh, a kind of, I don't think they do it annually, uh, Wagtail Space. They kind of put on a little uh, mini Wagtail conference. It's a really great community there too. And I, I've always been a huge fan of Wagtail. So I'm excited that we get to uh, use it now. Yeah, you get to use it internally, sort of. <laughs> cool. Are there any other call-outs that you want to make? Thank you all so much for listening to me and to Seb and to Asha and hearing about our planning process for PyCast Kids and how you know we're doing it with everything being different this year. So we really hope that we have now gotten you excited for the conference and the event, and we would 
absolutely love to see you there. So tickets are currently still available. You can pick one up at 2021.pycascades.com and they are very, very reasonably priced. So we have a sliding scale depending on if you're a student or um, somebody who has a corporate job. So please, please check it out. We would love it if you could join us and hopefully we'll see you there. All right. That's great. Hey, I want to thank you all for joining me. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us on the show. We want to thank you and and thank you to Real Python. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. This episode was brought to you by PyCharm. Get your smart Python IDE today at jetbrains.com slash PyCharm. I want to thank Nina Zakarenko, Seb Vetter, and Asha Zawaduk for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.